Okay, uh, Kalina's podcast number 13, I believe, and today we will be talking about Kotlin. Uh, I'm Jorge, your host, Mumbles, you prefer to call me that way, and we have with us on the recording today... Hello, I'm Andre, I'm a software craftsman at Codurance. Hi there, I'm Richard, and I'm also a software craftsman at Codurance. And my name's Marco, and I guess I'm also a software craftsman at Codurance. <laughs> we one really day, need to get we'll... more diversity in these things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll have to look into, into that. Meanwhile, uh, let's want to start with the questions today. Uh, as I mentioned before, we are going to be talking about Kotlin, which I have barely done anything, like two katas and that was it, and that was a few months ago, and I have a, a few people, uh, I believe uh, Marco and Richard, both of you are working currently on uh, using Kotlin, is that correct? That, that is true. Yes, that's right. And Andre, I think you are learning Kotlin. Yes, I'm learning Kotlin right now, I'm not doing anything that is going to production, but I really like the language. Cool. Okay, so one of you, uh, whoever has the most information about this, uh, can you talk, talk me about when Kotlin started and why it started? Do you know? So from what I know about Kotlin, it started inside JetBrains. Uh, they, JetBrains, is the company that builds IDEs like IntelliJ, RubyMine, PyCharm, and they built everything in Java. And they mm -hmm. needed a language that was better than Java because using Java was starting to get really annoying for them. So they start to work uh, on Kotlin. And this is like close to 10 years ago. And okay. now, yes, so Kotlin was internally was something that they were doing for some time and was released uh, later for as an open source project. So Kotlin was born from their necessity of having a better language than Java to build their products. Okay. This often seems to be the case when you languages are created they, they're very often created by companies for their own private use to scratch an itch that they're feeling and then only later do they release it thinking that it might be actually useful mm. in the, the wider world i've heard well, this story about quite a few languages uh, russ for example if, uh, if i remember correctly was uh, internal development of uh, of firefox uh, oh sorry the mozilla corporation just to to scratch the reach around working with C++ as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Closure was the same thing, wasn't? Uh, the creator had like a lot of problems with Java. Not sure about Closure, because um, Rich Hickey is is not the first time he's created a, an implementation of Lisp. He, he he created something called Dot Lisp before Closure, which ran on hmm. the dot .NET runtime. Yeah, it seems to be what he does. He just loves creating Lisps. <laughs> I mean, Lisa. So I'm just, I, I'm just, 
Sorry, I'm just quickly looking at the wiki page for Kotlin. They say it first appeared in 2011, July 2011. Um, and the first stable release, um, oh, the current stable release is 1.3.30, which came out April 2019. But that means it's probably been around for about eight years. So, yeah, that's close to what Andre said. That's been quite a while. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, we have the when when it started is uh, and why it started. Cool internal itch, which I didn't know about that. Um, uh, so they wanted to improve uh, from Java. They have problems with Java. So what is different on Kotlin from Java? What what is makes it special, or what are the characteristics of the language that? Well, I suppose um, many things, but. The one that people notice the most is the the fact that it's it's more strongly typed than Java is. Um, the uh, there's less need to get out of the tap the the type system by casting um, because it, um, it it's more complete. So you don't need to to mess about with casting. Um, and also the uh, I think the other big thing is that. Um, Types are either not nullable, you cannot set anything to null, or if it is nullable, then it must be basically like a, an optional in Java. So you can't just have a variable and set it to null. Um, if you want it to be nullable, then you have to actually deal with it properly. Absolutely. And another thing um, that's also quite different from Java is the fact that functions are actually first-class citizens. Um, and they're not necessarily restricted to living in classes. They can actually live outside of classes and they can be passed around. Um, that is something that Java has recently started doing, um, but Kotlin has had that from the start um, in terms of um, functions being first-class citizens. The fact that functions can live outside of um, a class, that is something that Java still can't do. Um, so... That's quite a unique yes, thing as well. Yes, that was a thing that I found quite surprising when I discovered it for the first time in Kotlin uh, because I've, I've, I've programmed in um, procedural languages before, so um, I have no problem with the idea. But I've been uh, swimming in OO for such a long time that when I, it came apparent to me that I could just create a function and it didn't have to belong to an object, I was like, whoa, mind blown. It's been a while <laughs> since I've done that. Yeah. And of course, you can have um, multiple classes and functions and interfaces and so forth, all in one artifact, mm -hmm. all in one file. So um, it's a very nice way of just ordering little subdomains together. Yeah, the, the one uh, class per file thing in Java is, has always been a, a bit restrictive. I, I do remember, and that's when I was still mostly a .NET developer, and I remember uh, uh, this famous uh, developer, uh, John Romero, complaining about uh, that at uh, Java being uh, one class per file. And I suppose it's just, as always, is giving me the opportunity, I, I will decide what is best for my, how to organize myself, isn't it? Yes. Sometimes, do we have, uh, in Java, if I remember, uh, do we have internal classes? In Java, yes, we do. And so if you want to create more than one class in the same file, then that's your only recourse is to create inner classes. But then 
of course, an inner class is bound to the lifetime of its outer class. Uh, and if you don't want that to be true, then you have to make it static. So, and that's basically yeah, no. your workaround. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And another really nice feature that Kotlin has is the concept of data classes, um, which is a concept that they've lifted directly out of Scala, the Scala case classes, which is basically a POJO um, with all the goodness added to it. So there'll be a hash code equals method, a two string method, everything already mm -hmm. built into it. And you, you can declare it as a one liner. So you just declare a data class and you just declare a bunch of fields, um, which are all vowels. And then automatically it'll go and create all that stuff for you. Um, which allows you to express your domain in a very concise way. Yeah, that's very nice. Um, I do miss, uh, when I was programming in Java all the time, I really missed the, the simplicity of a struct that you get in C. Uh, when all you want is, a, a, as you say, a data structure, uh, it doesn't have to have behavior. You don't want it to have behavior. And it's quite awkward in Java to create those because the the idiom is always to create getters and setters for everything and so much boilerplate, which is uh, one of the things that really pees people off about Java. Um, yeah, so that's that's a good feature. I definitely like that in Kotlin. Um, I like also the way you can write your constructors and you don't have to actually write fields inside the, uh, the, the class. You simply write the constructor arguments and they become implicit fields okay that's something similar to um which other language does that i believe is sharp you can have a, a constructor that is just basically the signature isn't it yes so if you have a, a string parameter to the constructor and you declare it as val so it <clears throat> cannot be mutated there's no need to create a field and assign the field to the value of the parameter. It's just sort of assumed that you're going to want to do that, so why bother actually writing that? Okay. Ooh. Very you nice. You have mentioned yeah. val, uh, which is uh, one of the very few things that I actually saw Kotlin when I was doing the, the initial catalyst. You have val and var? Yes, that's right. So, so what's the difference? So the, the difference is that vars are variables, um, whereas things declared val are not mutable. So once they have a value, they always have that value. So you have to decide every time you declare a variable whether you're actually going to mutate it or not. So hopefully you'll hardly ever Absolutely. have to do that. So <laughs> I think that the, the, the good practice is to stick to val as often and, as indeed. you can. Okay, one question with that because I, I remember having that issue both in C Sharp and, and Java, in which sometimes you des, de, uh, define something as a final or, or constant, immutable, and but because it's an object, you can still manipulate it. Is it the case as well with Kotlin? Yes, so, that's still true in, in Kotlin also. Um, primitive, you, you cannot. Uh, reassign the variable to a different object reference, but you, that doesn't prevent you from manipulating the object itself if the object pr permits it. Okay. Exactly. And if it's a case class, an instance of a, a oh, sorry, not a case class, a data class, sorry, I'm thinking Scala again, <laughs> um, 
then obviously you can't manipulate those fields because they'll be val by default, hopefully, if you declared them that way. Okay. So an, another another really interesting feature that I almost forgot about, which is really, really handy, is extension methods. Have you guys yes, tried those out I yet? I did, and it's really good, especially because they can be scoped. So you can have a private extension method that is inside of your class and be private. And it works like that was declaring the main object that you wanted or the type. But is inside the one, the only class that is going to use that, so it's quite nice. So, are you so just so I understand correctly, are you saying that you can add um, a method to a class? Yes. Exactly. Yes, and what you can do as well is you can take a third-party library that is not your own, and you can add behavior so is that to like it, like a trait in is, Rust. Sounds like an... um, a trait in Rust is like a you declare an interface um, with one or more function signatures in it, uh, and then you can create an implementation of that interface, uh, and you say this is this trait as applied to this type, and so there are two types. It's like the trait, um, like uh, say, uh, I wanted to add um, a, a, a function to like an integer, um, say divisible by, which returns true or false, whether it's di divisible by some um, number. And I could create that divisible by trait, which is like an interface, and it has the, uh, the, uh, the method signature. And then I say, all right, divisible by as applied to integer, and here's the implementation for that. And then all of a sudden, my integers have uh, is divisible by method available. Yeah, that sounds very similar uh, indeed. One question, uh, maybe, maybe I missed it, but uh, for example, in CSAR, we have extensions as well, but there are just syntactic sugar. So extensions on CSAR are syntactic sugar. You can you use them as if they were part of the class, but they are not. It's just a static method that gets us the first parameter, the, the the object in which you are calling it. Is that in Kotlin? Is that the case? Exactly that, yes. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's basically a static method that, that takes the object as its first um, argument, but you don't actually see that. It does that okay. implicitly. But and it, it, the, the, the really cool thing is the fact that it's static, right? It, it all happens at compile time. So this is not like in a dynamic language where you're doing monkey yeah. patching and you're actually um, introducing methods at runtime, which could be clobbering other methods. Um, this is actually all checked by the compiler and won't get you into any trouble. Okay. Uh, quick question about that as well. Um, oh. Damn it, I had it on the tip of my tongue and now it's flying away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, C sharp, uh, the extensions can only access uh, public members. After all, it is via syntactic sugar. It, therefore, it's the same way in Kotlin. Or, well, does Kotlin have private methods or private, uh, yeah, private methods? Yes, it does. Okay. So the extension can yes. only access the public ones uh, as well, yeah? Yeah, so that's another interesting thing. Kotlin doesn't have a notion of public, really. A class is either open 
or okay. it's not. Um, and by, by default, it's not. So um, you have to actually explicitly declare a class to be open in order to make its fields public um, and to make itself public. So uh, yes, by default, everything is closed. And um, I, I think it's good. So then you have to declare your, your internal methods. You'll just declare as, as funds um, and they're automatically public by default. And then if you want something explicitly private at that point, then you have to okay. name them private. I've said yeah, a lot there, sorry. Uh, like, <laughs> <laughs> like in C-Sharp, uh, Kotlin has properties. So instead of creating getters and setters, when you declare the fields of your class, you can declare the getters and setters uh, for those properties in a more or elegant way than just declaring other functions inside your class like you would do in Java. Also, this is really quite nice in the language and some other stuff that are really good in the language is some syntactic sugar that you will really miss when you do other languages and you go back to java like string interpolation raw strings or something else that i also really like in kotlin is the fact when you are dealing with collections you'll get you have better functional methods like you in java you have you always have to put a string and you only have a reduce uh, in kotlin you have more things you have a fold uh bes on, besides the reduce and it's way easier to deal with this kind of collections than in java using those methods okay uh, so, so 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 far we, we have been talking quite a there are quite a few differences from, from Java. What, one thing that we have mentioned before, but later on will be one of the questions that I will be asking. Uh, so Kotlin does, sorry, compiles for the JVM. Is that, that is correct, yeah? Yes. Okay. Yes, that is. That's right. Uh, the, the JVM version of Kotlin, but there's Kotlin native yeah. too, remember? So let me put it down so we'll talk uh, later about that. But first, uh, all of you have been talking about uh, different things that are on Java, uh, sorry, on Kotlin, from Java, things that you like a lot. Is there anything that you don't like in Kotlin? I've got a few gripes. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the nullable types are just awful. Um, I, I'm very opinionated about nulls, and um, I, I'd much rather use a more monadic solution, um, like an yeah. option to deal with something that is um, something or nothing. Um, and I, I, I find that that would have worked far better than introducing this whole parallel hierarchy of nullable types. Um, I just, I, even though it, it's, it's all enforced at compile time, I still think it, it results in horrible boilerplate code um, where that could have just been alleviated with simple option. I actually really like it, the way uh, you deal with nullable types in Kotlin because uh, it's considerably more succinct than the optional syntax in Java 8. Uh, I, I like the way that you can chain the uh, the function calls together and um, just use the, the Elvis operator at the end to provide the escape. And it doesn't matter at where in the chain of composed function calls, the the null appeared. Um, it 
it uh, it remembers that. So it is a true monad, um, even if it doesn't look like one. It it is it is behaving in the the proper monadic way. Um, so I, I've got no problem with it. I, I think it's a a big improvement on Java. Yeah, I, I think they actually got the idea from from Groovy, as far as I know. Um, even even the way they deal with the nulls, um, even though obviously Groovy didn't have a nullable type, um, they used similar methods of dealing with nulls. Uh, they, the Elvis operator, for instance, comes so from Groovy. So, what else don't you like? That's that's probably my main gripe. Um, there are ways around it, though. Uh, we'll we'll probably get to that a little bit later. I won't. Uh, I won't drop any spoilers. <laughs> so you mentioned that um, you you would prefer it uh, if it worked more like a, an option type. Uh, could you expand on that a bit? Because I'm not um, fully familiar with what you mean. Yes, absolutely. So um, what I typically like doing is I, I like having, say, for instance, you do a series of operations um, and each operation results in some kind of monad and those things all get piled on top of each other. Um, then the normal routine that you would follow is you would flat map, flat map, flat map, and map at the last level. And that will give you a, a flat output um, that would drop anything that doesn't have any content. So you would be left with the outer wrapper layer. I don't know if that makes uh, sense. It does, but um, as far as I know, that is what Kotlin does. Um, so, yeah, so uh, what, what I'm describing there is very much what, what we would call a for comprehension in Scala. Um, and you do have something similar, which I'll get to later in, in Kotlin. But for that to work at the very lowest level, you do actually need an option, which is just a list of size one that can either be empty or populated. And it needs to expose a flat map and a pure method. That's that's how Monad operates. Um, so that's that's effectively what an option should be. And I think quite clearly what um, what the Java optional not really was. You know, so um, I think option that was introduced, um, which I'll speak about a little bit later, does actually solve all those problems and allow you to to handle these optional values in a, in a very So I, th I think your way. understanding of a monad is slightly different to mine. Um, uh, my understanding of a monad is that it's basically an assemblage of three components. Um, the first being a, a type constructor, um, which in, in Java would be like, you know, an optional of whatever. Um, uh, That's the right, second yes. thing is it needs a, uh, what is it? Um, it needs a bind operation, um, but I think I've jumped ahead because um, the it uh, it needs a way to actually instantiate a monad um, encapsulating the uh, the underlying types object, and I've forgotten what the name for that operation is. Um, so in, in, in Haskell, they would call the, the constructor part, they would call a pure method. In Scala, they call that the apply yeah. method. And so that basically, that's your of method in the optional. And then the other most important thing about a monad is it needs to have a flat well, map. The flat map is actually what defines yes, a but, monad. Um, so the flat map uh, exists on uh, the Java optional but as well. Uh, but the, the bind option is the map. So that's where... You give it a function which 
requires an argument of the type that's encapsulated by the monad, not uh, that's right. Yeah, that's so. That's the that's the functor, uh, right? A functor that, has a and map. that function does um, not directly return a monad. It returns another type, or possibly the same type. It doesn't matter. But then the result of that, the monad makes sure that what you actually get is then another monad of the same monad type, but encapsulating whatever the function returned. That's correct. Yes. Now that's, that's the functor. That's not that's flat basic, map. That's a map. That's map. No, that's flat, flat map, map is when you your functor is actually returning another monad. So you are, for example, in the case of an optional, you are mapping a function which itself returns an optional. And if you map, then what you'll get is an optional of optional of whatever. And that's probably not what you want. So flat map unwraps it and just gives you the the optional of whatever. So a flat map takes a function that could return something more and then flattens that. So a flat map can actually, the, the right name for a flat map is actually map flat because it first does a map and then it flattens. So you should, you should see a monad as a bunch of nested functions, each one um, returning some kind of wrapper class. And then the function above that that's operating with it is going to be responsible for flattening that out, first mapping it and then flattening it out. So right at the end, at the outside of all your your nested functions, the thing that gets returned is going to be the the, the outer type of that. So and it's going to be completely flattened. It's going to flatten all those nested functions. Does that make sense? That's <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to describe. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm getting it. No. I'm- guess I would need to to see some code to best understand it. Cool. Well, let's pair up a bit tomorrow. <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty nice. <laughs> uh, I love that part. Okay. Um, let, let's kind of move a bit more with, uh, with this. Um, uh, is, is there any other thing from Kotlin that any of you don't like? There's not much that I don't like. To be honest, um, the the there is actually one thing, and that's that um, the given that the language was created by JetBrains, I find the uh, the support in IntelliJ is not quite as perfect as I would expect it to be. The uh, so the, not, Very all, not all of the yeah. standard refactoring um, okay. tools work exactly correctly. Not all of them available, and I find that quite astonishing. Yes, I got like some weird uh, behavior from IntelliJ when trying to do things like extracting a field, uh, having a local variable that I want to become a field. It never went straight away to do that for me with Kotlin. Mm. And also uh, sometimes creating classes from other places, like you're writing a test, you declare a new class, IntelliJ creates the file, but it don't create the class the declaration. So yeah, the tooling, it's, it's still in the beginning. I think it's because right now it's still like on 1.3. They have to put like some more work. 
Yeah, absolutely. And another thing I noticed, so I've come from Scala and in Scala, we've, Scala is actually very, very similar to Kotlin. It's almost like Kotlin is a subset of Scala, right? Um, and one of the nice things about Scala and IntelliJ is you get a worksheet. It's just a, it's just a blank worksheet where you can just start typing Scala code and you can actually run it interactively and even stick in breakpoints and examine things and, um, Kotlin doesn't have that. And I, I find that like a, a real problem because it's so handy to just have a little worksheet where you can mess around with some code, try out a few concepts and then go and apply it. So yeah, I, I'm also a bit disappointed with uh, the IntelliJ support for Kotlin. Um, there's only one other thing that I, I find missing in Kotlin um, that is present in Java. And that is uh, in Java, you can write a, an exception handler that catches multiple exceptions and you join them together with pipe symbols and then the uh, so long as they all have a common supertype then you can just deal with them all as if they were the parent exception type and Kotlin doesn't seem to have that it forces you to write a, a catch block for every checked exception that might be thrown oh so th there, there is once again, there's a solution for this, but I'll come to that. Are you going to say don't use exceptions? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't throw, don't throw exceptions. Use a try or either monad. <laughs> okay. So I must say first, I, I don't like exceptions, and uh, I believe Richard is really of the same uh, same idea. But when you actually have to do them you would prefer not to have to deal with putting every single one of them, isn't it? Mm. So and it just all jumps out at me because for the most part, Kotlin is uh, more succinct than Java is. Um, you can express the same functionality with less writing. Uh, uh, one thing that we haven't touched on yet, um, although we, we have been talking um, a lot about functional programming um, practices without mentioning the name, um, and Kotlin, without really announcing it, if you want it to be, it is an expression-oriented language. Uh, so all of the uh, the sort of the the control blocks, like the the if block and the try catch block, uh, they evaluate to values if you want them to. Um, and so, just as in Groovy, um, you don't have to explicitly write return. A value from a method you just uh whatever the last expression in the function evaluates to is the return method if you use your your if blocks in this way so if you write return if whatever else whatever then it becomes expression oriented you can do the same thing with try catch blocks you can type return try open bracket and then whatever the last um statement evaluates to inside there is the return value and when you write this then you can you get to shorten your functions a bit as well because instead of writing your function with curly braces you can write the function signature and then say equals this because if it's a, sim a single expression then you get to simplify your code just a little bit more and i like that yeah that is lovely i agree with you that's something i really enjoy not not having curly braces mm. everywhere. 
and it actually it kind of it kind of guides you down to doing the simplest possible thing in a method right yeah. rather than being just a bunch of procedural steps it actually leads you to writing expressions that kind of slot yes. into each other and uh so th- this is what I, I really liked about Clojure. And I do, where possible, try to write my Java like that too. So I, I appreciate that Kotlin um, you know, goes the extra mile to enable you to code that way if you, if you feel like it, because I do. <laughs> also, when you write your functions that way, then uh, you don't have to explicitly tell code the compiler what type the function returns, because it can in- infer it for, for you, how, if how you like you- that sort of thing. How much infinite does Kotlin have? Uh, it's um, it anything it can infer, then you can leave um, not explicitly defined. Yeah, yeah. So the inference is is pretty good actually. So you just declare a val, and um, it'll infer the type, and it'll it'll basically statically bind it to that val all the way through okay. all its uses. Uh, I, this is because it's one of my. Um, one of my favorite things about FSAP, for example, is a, it's a static uh, type language, but uses this uh, uh, the Hindley-Milner type system, which means that the inference it is superb. Same like uh, with uh, with Haskell, it's, it, it will find the most appropriate type based on on the code. So you could write your code without having to deal with uh, the whole idea of uh, indicating here in, uh, interfaces or whatever it is here and there, and how how uh, well uh, you have done a bit of Haskell, Marco. How, how does it compare with it? Is it at the same level or not? Not not really. I haven't done much Haskell to be honest. Um, I've I've done lots of Scala, and I find it very close to Scala, but. Um, I, I don't I don't have that much experience with Haskell. Is anybody I have else never done touched some Haskell? Haskell? But I think it's also it's very strongly typed, right? It's it's the same kind of thing, and the inference is also built into it as far okay, as I know. Let's gonna let's gonna move on. Um, okay, I have a question first. Uh, and to be honest, this is the one of the reasons why I actually heard about Kotlin is when Google gave it. Um, kind of a first-class language, uh, converting to a first-class language for Android. I believe all of you are working server-side. Is that correct? I am. Me too, yes. Me too. I'm not working exactly, uh, but everything that I do in Kotlin is server-side. Uh, okay. So no, I was going to ask if you uh, have to deal with uh, Kotlin on Android, uh, done anything around that? Or Sadly not. Working? No. Any differences? Um, no, so I I haven't I, I I do know that it it functions exactly the same way on Android as what it does um, in in the normal JVM on the server side, right? Um, so you, you actually you can use all the same libraries. You can even use the Arrow library, um, which I think we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Functionally, it's exactly the same thing whether you're on Android or not. Which means it's as from what I, I mean, I've got good friends that do Android, and they all say it's a far more pleasant experience developing um, on Android with Kotlin than what it was yes, with Java. From what I read about it, Android didn't had Java eight support until very recently, and Kotlin could compile to Java 
uh, back to Java 7 bytecode. So you would have all those nice new features. And this really helped Kotlin get traction in the Android community, which were the first adopters of the language. Okay. Yeah, makes sense. That's, a, makes sense. that's an interesting <laughs> way of going around the issues with uh, Android being behind all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so another thing that we have uh, mentioned before, um, probably there is a bit more to talk about here. Uh, we have mentioned that uh, Kotlin works on the JVM, but uh, Marco, you have mentioned as well Kotlin native. native. That's right, yes. So Kotlin native runs on LLVM. So it's um, about as low down as you can. LLVM. Nowadays. So, but I mean, it's exciting because it means it can run anywhere, right? You've and and it will run with a tiny footprint as well. Um, it's not very mature yet. Um, so I think version one three now has LLVM support. So, what is LLVM for the uninitiated? So LLVM is basically um, it, it's a it's an adaptive layer. That's basically what C runs on. Basically, so it, it's basically, uh, well, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's kind of like a, a native. So LLVM, okay, it. it's a backend for low level compiling. So instead of you having a, comp a compiler that gets Kotlin and spits straight away uh, Java bytecode, they use this LLVM that is a compiler that don't compile uh, multiple languages, but this one language called IR. And it has multiple backends that you can add. Apple relies a lot of that for Objective-C and Swift. You have the CLang backend. So you compile to this IR, IR language that LLVM has. And when you do that, all those targets that the LLVM can compile will be available to you. So with Kotlin native working that, you can have an Android application, uh, an iOS application, and a low level like that runs on C and runs on Windows and on Mac all natively because it has all those backends already. So the IR, that's an intermediate representation. Yes. Is that anything like a, an abstract syntax tree? So I don't know much about IR, but I think it's something uh, close to the compiled Java that you have the, the .class file. So it's like the like yes. the, the bytecode um, yes. for the JVM. Yeah. Okay, right, makes sense. And and Rust, I think, also runs on LLVM, and so does Go. So I think all these languages are are, are basically compiled okay, to the, that. This part I know a bit more because when since I, it came out at uh, two thousand three, something like that. Uh, it basically, nearly everyone is has moved to use. Uh, LLVM, all the, all, all the. I, I know that uh, 
there are compilers for nearly all the, all the major languages that compile into LLVM is it's like a bytecode, but at compile time. So if you have uh, you have uh, how's it called? Uh, you compile against uh, LLVM, you can compile against multiple platform targets, which is quite, which is really quite nice. Rather than having to to recompile each time and having to change things, it's basically the same as bytecode, but instead of being at uh, runtime. I believe he can do runtime. Not completely sure. I never, uh, I never seen that happening. But then, I have only, I'm aware of it because of, as you say, uh, quite a few languages are building on top of LLVM. Fascinating. Yeah. So it yeah. seems I've got the wrong end of the stick. It's not an AST at all. Well, there. I think it, prob- it probably yeah. does build an AST. So the I'm pretty sure it IR does. IR yes. is a hero I was searching and says that it's a data structure used internally. So it's probably something like that. But mm. uh, nowadays, uh, like Jorge said, that everybody's using LLVM. It makes a lot of sense because you, the project has like a lot of support, especially from big companies. And it compiles to so many targets that just making work with LLVM just allows you to be like almost anywhere nowadays. The only downside, of course, is you have to go and compile for every single platform individually. So if you wanted to compile a binary for OS X and for Linux and for Windows, you'd have to go and compile it three separate times for those platforms. Yeah. And you and usually you'd have to do it on that platform. Um, you you wouldn't be able to to do those all from Linux. Um, for instance, which Go seems to have gotten over. Go actually can do that, um, but I, I think they use some kind of I, virtualization. For, for Kotlin Native, the last time that I tried last week, uh, I could compile Linux bytecode on a Mac and on, on Windows. So I could on Windows, I could have Windows and Linux bytecode, and Mac it was Mac and Linux. But I could not have uh, Mac on Windows and vice versa. But that's good enough, I think. That's cool. That's very okay, good. So, okay, so Kotlin Native is on top of LLVM. What, what else? Uh, uh, you, you have mentioned that it's only from version 1.3. Which version are we currently on so, Kotlin? It, it's been around for a while. But it's been it's been very shaky. Um, the times I have tried it, it's been extremely difficult to compile anything. And I think last week or the week before, they made the announcement that this was the first official release of um, Kotlin Native, and that's I think around about one. Th- is it one three ten? Andre, uh, do you know? Kotlin is one three ten, I think, right now. Yes. But I think that the the one three ten actually came with with an official Kotlin native release where, where they said, well, this thing is now ready yeah, to start using, which is quite a big deal, I think. JetBrains websites, it still says that it's very experimental, and it is. I tried to do Kotlin native today, 
and I still had a lot of problems with their build part. Uh, they use Gradle, but it's not there yet for resolving dependencies and ever and things like getting stuff from Maven or repositories or Bing Tray. But it's getting really better, this last version. Uh, the multi-platform plugin is way more mature because it's not Kotlin native. They are pushing for the multi-platform thing where you can do uh, for Android, iOS, uh, JavaScript, JVM, all having the same code, common source set, and then you can have uh, specific targets. So you could have your business domain uh, inside just one common package and use that in all the other projects that you have. But I think it's getting close. Like this last release, uh, it makes way more usable, especially with unit testing and having multiple projects. Uh, before this last release, unit testing was a pain. And now with the new IntelliJ that has the Gradle integration to run tasks and this last version of the multi-platform plugin, it's quite easy. It has like a slow compile time, but it's, it's the first version that they released. So I believe that with time, it's going to get way better. Cool, cool. Okay, so let's imagine someone wants to learn Kotlin. What will you recommend for learning Kotlin? Well, for learning Kotlin, I think there are two resources that are really good. Uh, there's a course on Coursera that's called Kotlin for Java Developers. If you're a Java mm -hmm. developer, it's really good to do that. There is the Kotlin Koans that uh, you can download on IntelliJ and have in, and doing your ID or do online and going for the Kotlin website. The documentation is quite nice. Yeah, I, I can I can second that the. Um... The, the course on Coursera is great. Uh, I, I ran that and I'm actually doing it again with my current team that I'm in. We're actually doing it again. Um, and it's just a, a fantastic learning resource. And it's actually by, you know, the Kotlin team. So um, so you, you, you've got Andre and Sveta. Both of them are like two of the top people in the Kotlin community um, that, that are actually presenting the course. So... You get it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. It was a very nice talk at the 2017 LSCC conference by Hadi Hariri. Uh, it was called The Importance of Syntax in Clean Code, uh, but he was just being cheeky. All he wanted to do was talk about Kotlin, uh, and that's what he did for about... Uh, but it's a, it's a, if that's what you want to, to hear about, then uh, it's, a, it's a really great, um, very quick uh, sort of explanation of the various goodies and features that Kotlin has. We can link to it later. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll put the link on the on the post. Cool. Uh, any other uh, resource or...? Well, if you want to learn a new language, Exorcism is always a good choice to go. They have quite nice uh, exercises. I'm going to... I love 
I, I, I agree, but at the same time, um, if you're going to do it with exorcism, it's probably going to lead you down the road of doing very simplistic things. You won't actually get to dig into any of the more advanced language mm. features. Um, so I'd suggest, honestly, that Coursera course is just so well worth it, you know. And then, yes, sure, try and try and solve some uh, exorcism, you know, exercises or do some koans, you know, but just having that grounding of understanding the language features just helps oh, so yeah. much. Let's kind of move into another one that, well, I, as you know, um, listeners, I don't know if they know or not, but I am an Emacs user. And whenever I'm learning any language, the first thing I do is look for the Emacs mode for that language. Um, how is the support uh, of Kotlin outside of uh, IntelliJ. You, you have mentioned that a few issues still within IntelliJ. It doesn't have the same support as uh, as Java. But outside, is there any support? Uh, for example, you, Marco, I, I know that you like uh, BIM. Is there support for uh, I don't know. Yeah, I have not actually ventured outside yeah, IntelliJ so the, yet. The, the VIM support... Um... For Kotlin is is very good. Um, I don't know about Emacs though. You'd have uh, to go and try Richard, that out. Uh, Andre, I think both of you are yes. Yeah. So I <laughs> only tried with um, Visual Studio Code, and there wasn't anything from officially from JetBrains. Uh, there was this okay. one guy trying to make a language server for Kotlin, but it is still. It was like the first version. Okay. Uh, after I'm going quickly into the language server protocol uh, page, just to look into into Kotlin, and it actually doesn't appear in there, which is a pity. Uh, just in case for, for people that doesn't know, language server protocol is, uh, is a specification originally created by Microsoft, I think on the back of Omnisar probably in which basically you define a, a backend server, uh, which is going to run your uh, code analysis and compiling and whatnot. And then there is some, uh, uh, basically, you, for uh, for any IDE or editor, you have some kind of a, a plugin that connects to it and extracts the information. So you can have the same backend server for every single editor which is quite nice. Don't have to redo all the stuff that is the same for everyone, but doesn't seem to be one for Kotlin, which is a pity. Well, so hopefully no one will notice that it has been a few days since the last time we talked. So <laughs> let's gonna see if we finish this. Um, we we talked uh, last time about IDs. Uh, uh, last time? But well, when we finish the previous part of the recording. Uh, so we talk about the ideas. Now I want to move into something else. Is what is interesting on the Kotlin world? Is there any library or any project that I need to follow or I need to know about? What, 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 is, what is out there? Well, uh, on our project, we have been using a couple of libraries. Um, I don't really call them frameworks because they... Uh, they actually seem more like 
traditional libraries in the way that they work. Um, they're all programmatic and they don't seem to involve editing config files, which I quite like. Um, so for uh, web stuff, we, we've been using something called Ktor. Uh, and it seems okay. Um, so nothing really. What it seems about? to work fine. What is, what is it about? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's somewhat similar to Spark Java, okay. um, and that's all I really say about it. To be honest, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it's fine. Well, about Ktor, uh, we are using an internal project, uh, Catalyst, and. It's a quite nice uh, library. It's made by JetBrains. And it's, like Richard said, it's very programmatic. You don't, and you don't have things like annotations. It's more you write the code for the controllers and this kind of stuff. So it's the final result seems more clean and better to use than uh, using something like Spring. But... That's just my personal opinion. And something that is quite nice about Ktor is it has a lot of things that doesn't come in with the library, like with the base library, but you can plug things like plugins, like uh, authentication, template engines, uh, cache, all this kind of stuff, uh, HTTP clients, so you can make tests. All that kind of stuff, it's already built in. It's not built in, but can plug in really easily into your uh, application. So you just bring the dependency in if, with one line of code, you can have the plugin that you want working in your application. So in other words, it's, it's very much, it, it reminds me a lot of, in the Java world, Ratpack, right? Um, it's, it's a Sinatra-like framework Okay. Or library, so very much focused on on very lightweight. You declare a, a bunch of mappings, basically, with some handlers, and um, and off you go. You know, it's got a nice DSL. Yeah. So. Well, well to, to be honest, you you had me once uh, underestimate in no annotations. That's good in my book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very few things in Kotlin rely on annotations. Uh, the only annotations I've written in Kotlin have been for JUnit. Nothing else seems to use them. Uh, I think Micronaut uses them. Micronaut. Well, what is Micronaut? Micronaut is, is a also a very lightweight framework. Yeah, so that that does use. It's quite it quite heavily uses Capt, which is like the annotation processor for for Kotlin. Yes. Okay. So things that are more inspired in Java, uh, like JUnit, or they will have annotations or the way of Java doing things. Uh, which is something good from Ktor. It's a pure Kotlin library, mm -hmm. so it's everything's built in built in Kotlin, and it's for to use with it's, it's optimized like the the API to use with Kotlin, which is quite nice. Okay, okay, more libraries. What what else is out there? For dependency injection, we've been using something called Coin, K O I N, uh, which I quite like. It's um it's very no nonsense. Um, the uh, the dependencies are all configured in pure Kotlin, so there's uh, there's no XML or JSON to worry about. It's 
Uh, again, in Spring, you can nowadays configure your beans using Java code, but there's still annotations in there. Uh, and in Coin, there, there's no annotations. It's literally just a Kotlin class uh, where you instantiate all of your uh, all your dependencies, and Coin will wire them up for you. And because it's pure Kotlin, then you can, you know, if you need to write some logic in there that you can express in Kotlin, then there's nothing stopping you from doing that. So you okay. can get as creative or as simple That's as you cool. want. Yeah, another library that I think that if you're working with Kotlin, you should take a look is MockK. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. MockK is cool. It's I like MockK a lot. It's way better to use MockK than Mokito with the wrapper for Kotlin. It's like it's becoming the standard library for mocking in Kotlin. And I think it's quite nice. The, Mm, the DSL's um, far less fussy than yes. Mokito is. And also in this testing area, uh, I'm really looking into Spec, which is a testing, li testing library by JetBrains, where you write tests in specification or BDD format, a specification like mm -hmm. uh, RSpec or the ones from JavaScript. Or Spock. Yes like that yeah. and it's a quite nice library they released the version 2.0 recently and it has no annotations for Jorge and then of course there's uh, the very nice Kotlin test as well right um, Kotlin test is something that's strongly based on Scala <laughs> test um, so it's really nice in terms of all the assertion types that you can do. And it's got a really nice DSL for expressing these things. So that's also another one to look out for. It's, it's, um, it's got several kinds of specification you can create. But I think um, the word spec is probably the nicest one, which looks a lot like Jasmine tests in JavaScript. So, but that it's quite a it's it's a more heavyweight testing framework, and it doesn't play so nicely with JUnit. Okay. So you've got to choose either one or the other. Okay. So Mock is fine to work with uh, JUnit. Spock is fine to work with JUnit, but not this one. Yeah. Yeah. So for some other reason, their their test runner is not playing nicely with with JUnit. So um, we we were working on a project and we were cutting over some components and writing some new components mm -hmm. to Kotlin. And when we introduced Kotlin test, um, it just we couldn't get either one or the other to work. So we eventually had to in that project ditch it and keep using JUnit. Okay. What well, is but once you get it working, it's very nice. It's uh, it's a really nice framework. What else is the interesting for functional enthusiasts? Hey. Um, <laughs> there is Arrow, um, which is basically a port of a lot of the nice stuff from Scala. Um, you've got a lot of monads um, from Scala, like for instance, you've got the the either and you've got the try and you've got a nice option that you can map over and so forth. Um, this is the stuff I was speaking about earlier. Uh, so I find that to be a really nice library. And they've also got something which is very similar to Scala's for comprehension, which they call a binding. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for, for those of you who like functional programming, I, uh, I recommend go and check it out. I'll leave a link for it later as well. 
Okay, cool. so, so, uh, yes, uh, if I remember correctly, we say early on that uh, there are no objects are not really mutable on on Kotlin. Yeah, so uh, they are, but you have to choose when you create um, fields and variables whether they are okay. going to be mutable or not. Uh, that, well, I suppose uh, I was going to. Like, that doesn't make sense anyway because uh, I, I was just thinking about the the use with. Uh, with Arrow, but really, as long as you are not doing anything stupid, it should be, it should be fine. How, how does it compare with uh, Arrow? How does it compare with the string library on Java? Um, so it, it doesn't really compare that well with what's in Java, because I don't think you can express things like that in Java as much as mm. what you can in, in something like Kotlin or Scala, yeah. for instance. Um, well, to, 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 I'm thinking... Because, for example, uh, the the whole idea of uh, having collectors on the on the string library, uh, string library, which is a, uh, when I had to use them, where they were pain in the ass, having to set up your own collectors and whatnot. Yep. While nearly all proper functional languages, it's you don't have to do anything. It's all kind of created for you. Uh, so, Arrow does. I, th I think the streams the streams were kind of like a bit of a bolt on to Java to introduce some functional you know um, combinators. So you, that's why you first have to get a stream off a collection and then you have to do some work with it. Then you can apply some combinators and then you have to you know do a collect again at the end, which other languages don't yeah, really it, seem to have, you know. It, it was a bolt-on, um, and it shows itself in Java most. Um, when you are streaming over a collection and the uh, the collection is itself a collection of collections, um, so you want to probably flatten the, uh, the, the stream, but you, you have to actually get a stream off of each element as you stream it before you because you can only flat map a stream you can't flat map a collection and that that's where it's 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 a bit awkward and it shows that yes um the streams were bolted on um to the uh to the existing um class library it's, it's not bad you know it's uh, i mean it's great that java now has these things it's better to have them than not have exactly. them, for sure. But I, I think that the more modern languages are getting it right from the start. It's built into the languages from from the beginning. So yeah, so I I think it's um it's it's a really nice thing to try out. You know, if you want to give um, Arrow a whir, do it. Um, have a play with it. Their documentation is really good as well. And um, if you go into their website, you'll see a lot of the pages actually have little tutorial videos as well, little YouTube nice. videos. Um, it's really nice. It's very well done. Little screencast they've done, you know, for certain features. Very cool. Okay. Uh, so we have a few libraries. Any any other uh, project of interest for someone that goes into Kotlin? Well, uh, wait. Heart. Huh? Uh, uh, just to okay. know for Marco and Richard, since yeah. you two are working in production applications right now, uh, what you two are using for JSON serialization? Because I try to use some stuff from Java, and it's sometimes using Java libraries in Kotlin, it's a bit of a fight. Uh, so we are. I'll find out for you okay. exactly what um, 
but we're using something called a JSON object. Although it's um, the, there's a couple of different libraries called JSON object in the Java world, and uh, this is uh, this one has a builder style syntax, um, which makes it considerably more usable, especially in Kotlin, um, because you can use it in a an expression oriented way. Okay, but I can try yeah. to find out for you where uh, it actually comes in from. In terms of what we're doing at the moment, is we're I hate to say it, but we're working in a Spring Boot app, um, and and, and we've, we've introduced some. Uh, <laughs> that's not a bad thing, um, but we've introduced um, some of our new services in that app. Um, little features we've actually built in in Kotlin um, with a separate source set, and um, we found that just by um, creating POJOs, um, you know, we just pass them back, then it serializes it for you. So in some cases where we need fancy stuff, we've actually resorted to having little Java classes. Um, it's not ideal, you know. Uh, it doesn't seem that Jackson right. plays too well with modern languages. Um, I had similar issues in Scala as well. So because normally um, they they require your fields to be mutable, right? That's the big thing. Um, like a, a yeah. Jackson requires your your classes firstly to have a default constructor as well, always. Um, because it relies heavily on reflection, right? Um, and it requires all your fields to have a getter and a setter, which is really nasty. I, I really don't like it, but it is what it is. That's how Jackson works. Hmm. So we're using um, uh, org.json.json object, which is in um, ST Leary, is GitHub. I think it's just is it a Java, Java thing. Right, cool. I cool. think it is. I'll check it out for sure. But it's it's very very uh, usable um, and it it works great in Kotlin great. too. Fantastic. Okay, um, I think we are gonna be done with this uh, conversation well, today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to answer yes or no. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm asking, I'm asking. <laughs> um, okay, but, uh, then thank you. Uh, thank you all three of you for your time. On, recording this podcast thank you to all the, the listeners for listening uh, hopefully you uh, learned something today and we will see you next time bye 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 bye